Looting overwhelms California cities, but the experts say we shouldn't call it looting. A jury considers the Ahmed Arbery case. Plus, Joe Biden says that it's not his fault oil prices are going up. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Stand up for your digital rights. Take action at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, Black Friday is coming up, but you don't need to wait a couple of days in order to start making your money work for you. This is particularly true when it comes to your cell phone bill, which is one of your biggest monthly bills. Why not save like half when you go to Pure Talk USA? Pure Talk gives you killer 5G coverage on one of the largest 5G networks in the country and still saves the average family over $800 a year. I made the switch. The coverage is excellent. Their US-based customer service actually cares about you and Pure Talk's prices are pretty much wholesale. They've got unlimited talk, text, six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or this month, get Black Friday prices on new phones like the iPhone 12 for just $479, which is a fantastic, fantastic deal. They've got a 30-day risk-free guarantee. You literally have nothing to lose except for, you know, half off your monthly bill. Go to puretalk.com, shop for the plan and phone that's right for you. Then enter promo code Shapiro. You'll save 50% off your first month and save on a new phone. That's puretalk.com, promo code Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Some restrictions apply. See site for details, and you could be saving a ton of money with Pure Talk. So why exactly would you insist on paying your money to like Verizon or AT&T when you could be using their network for the same exact coverage? Go to puretalk.com. Go check them out right now. Alrighty, so over in California, we are seeing the wages of reality. The, the left convinces itself that if it simply wishes for things hard enough and claps loud enough, then Tinkerbell will live. But that is not the way things work when it comes to criminal justice issues. According to the UK Daily Mail, San Francisco Bay has now been hit by a third day of brazen looting with a gang of thieves filmed smashing cases at a jewelry store and emptying them as staff screamed in terror. The latest incident happened at a Sam's Jewelry store at the Southland Mall in Hayward around 5.30 p.m. Sunday evening and was caught on camera. Robbers, who are apparently part of a gang of around 40 to 50 teens who entered the mall, wielded hammers to smash display cases at Sam's before making off with the goods. Dramatic footage shot from a nearby stores showed shop workers screaming in fear as the disturbing scene unfolded. Also on Sunday, another gang of looters snatched garments from upmarket yoga brand Lululemon's San Jose store. I mean, they need their they need their pants. They need those um, they need those yoga pants. And uh, apparently, it would be you know, totally terrible to point out that folks. Are looting really bad to point out that the folks are, are are looting here because if you use the word looting, then this implies that black people are doing the looting. Well, in this video, black people are apparently doing the looting, and there's nothing wrong with saying they are looting. They are literally smashing cases at a jewelry store and then just grabbing stuff and running. And the race is only relevant in describing suspects because when you want to catch suspects, you actually have to use their physical descriptors. Also. The media's refusal to announce the, the race of particular criminals is an ongoing thing in American media coverage. When it comes to American media coverage, you will notice that anytime there's a white criminal, he's described immediately as a white criminal. Anytime it is a black criminal, the person is just described as a criminal. And that is because the media don't wish to purvey the notion that a disproportionate number of black people are committing crimes, even if, unfortunately, a disproportionate number of black people are committing crimes. They think that this will give fodder to racists who think that there are natural differences between black and white that lead to the crime. Okay, all of that is the media attempting to read too much into how crime is actually covered. But again, the fact of the matter is this is looting and the people who are doing it should be prosecuted. You, by the way, you know who is saying this? Not me, Al Sharpton. This is where you insert graphic of that onion story. Worst person you know makes good point. Here's Al Sharpton, a terrible human being who has incentivized actual rioting in the past saying, yeah, you know, it's really people who are kind of limousine liberals who are interested in, in letting these sorts of, of criminals off the hook. 
A guy or a lady stealing a Louis Vuitton bag is not somebody that needs social uplifting. This is somebody that is really causing us more of a problem. These latte liberals that justify this, this has nothing to do with poverty. This has nothing to do with you couldn't get a job. These are people that can go back in the neighborhoods where Louis Vuitton bag is not unusual and they can just fit in and, and many of it for gag. And they hurt the cause of those that want criminal justice reform. Wow. Al Sharpton saying a sane thing. But here's the thing. The left has lost it so much that even Al Sharpton is like, you guys are way too much for me. Al Sharpton is like, sorry, guys, I'm not on this bandwagon. On Saturday, a video posted to Twitter showed a swarm of robbers caught on security camera stealing prescriptions from Wellspring Pharmacy in Oakland at around 7.30 p.m. Pharmacy employees sped up the footage to show dozens of people running through the store to grab boxes of drugs off the shelves before quickly moving out. It's unclear what drugs were stolen. Staff say customers whose meds were stolen will still be able to collect replacement meds that have been ordered in. Store employees told KGO TV reporter Deanne Lim they were overwhelmed and devastated by the brazen theft. That's a small drugstore. It doesn't have the same resources as chains like CVS or Walgreens. But by the way, it is important to note that a lot of these chain stores have pulled out of San Francisco because of the crime, right? This has happened in a lot of high crime areas around the country. Target has shut its doors in a variety of locales where crime is high. In fact, Best Buy, which is a major chain, the CEO, Corey Berry, said theft is a growing problem at the company's stores. They're implementing added security measures to safeguard employees and shoppers. Berry said on a call with analysts, this is traumatizing for our associates. It's unacceptable. We're doing everything we can to try and create as safe as possible an environment. Apparently, Best Buy said that they are actually seeing a stock drop because of the crime surge. Apparently, it's hitting Best Buy's profits. It could hurt its ability to retain and attract more employees in a tight labor market. Apparently, some incidents involve individuals bringing a weapon, like a gun or a crowbar. Barry's comments come on the heels of a string of retail thefts in San Francisco that targeted Louis Vuitton, a Burberry store, a jewelry store, Bloomingdale's, Walgreens. On Saturday, a Nordstrom department store near San Francisco was ransacked in what police described as a smash and grab incident. And it's not just restricted to San Francisco, by the way. Nordstrom's in LA was also hit. So this is over by the Grove, which is one of the most upscale areas of Los Angeles. It was also hit during the riots, by the way. I remember the, the so-called peaceful protest last year that burned half the cars on Melrose Boulevard. Uh, they went to the Grove as well. It was a place that I used to go with my kids to hang out the Grove. It's a really nice area in Los Angeles, but this is the second time inside of about a year and a half that it's now been looted. So things are going really well at these at these major cities. This, uh, these major cities. And, and again, it... It is not just San Francisco. In Los Angeles, Louis Vuitton was hit. Saks Fifth Avenue on Rodeo Drive was damaged. Rodeo Drive is like the nicest area in Los Angeles. And you'll recall that last year during the Black Lives Matter riots, they actually shut down Rodeo Drive at 1 p.m. in the middle of the riots because they had to give people space to, to smash things. Beverly Hills said police said officers responded Sunday to reports of a window smash under the 200 block of Rodeo Drive. When they arrived, they located two storefronts that had their windows smashed. The damaged storefronts included Louis Vuitton and Saks Fifth Avenue. And as we say, Nordstrom's got hit as well. So things are going beautifully for the left. Like they're going, they're going wonderfully for the left. And, and this is a left-wing thing. It really is. It's a left-wing thing because they've decided that being soft on crime is just another form of equity. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the possibility of death. Death, unfortunately, comes for all of us. Let's say that you're just a teacher from middle America and you're drafted into the U.S. Army. It's World War II and you're sent on a, on kind of an insane mission to save one guy. And you make it through D-Day. You make it through the storming of the beaches. You make it all the way overland. 
to a battle scar area. Finally, you get there. You've lost half your company. Finally, you get there. And uh, at the very end, things go wrong. And you get to make a dramatic speech. But as you're making the dramatic speech, you're also thinking, ma'am, should have gotten Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. And eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award-winning policy option, swapping the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. Head over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro in minutes. Work out how much life insurance coverage you need. Policy Genius handles all the rest. Go to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice and quite important to get it right. Okay, so the left wants to treat this sort of stuff with kid gloves. According to KGO in San Francisco, quote, Bay Area police departments have called what happened at various retail stores this weekend looting. We saw similar crimes happen in the wake of the George Floyd protests. But are the past weekend's crimes truly considered looting? Race and social justice reporter Julian Glover is here to give us some context of looting. Um, first of all, race and social justice reporter is a great title for a propagandist. You don't need a race and social justice reporter unless you are a propaganda outlet. What you, because you are now breaking people down according to immutable characteristics, which I thought was the definition of racism. And you don't need a social justice reporter because social justice is activism. Social justice is just a way of using the word justice and twisting it away from actual justice. As, as soon as you add a modifier to the word justice, you're toast. When people talk about distributive justice, they don't mean justice. What they mean is some people want other people's stuff. When people talk about social justice, they don't mean that we should treat each individual in accordance with what they deserve. They mean that groups should be treated in accordance with what the groups deserve. And here's the thing about groups. They don't deserve anything. Groups are just groups. Okay, but, says the race and social justice reporter, Julian Glover, quote, as the Bay Area grapples with a wave of seemingly organized smash and grab robberies this weekend, policing and journalism analysts are cautioning against the use of the term looting. Oh, are they? Who are these, who are these experts? These ex it's always great. You know, the credentialing in journalism is a real issue. So it used to be that journalism was a process. Right, you committed an act of journalism. If you followed the process, if you verified your sources, if you went through the hard slog of ensuring that what you were reporting was true, you had committed an act of journalism. Then journalism became a credentialed degree. And now if you have the degree, you're considered a journalist, even though you're not actually reporting anything or doing anything in accordance with the journalistic process. And the process of how journalism became sort of a credentialed position, like being a doctor, as opposed to just a person who reports, it's kind of astonishing. At the beginning of the 20th century, the, the reporters that you saw were people who kind of were high school grads who had a, a battered fedora. This is what you see in all the movies from the 30s. Battered hat guy who is just walking the pavement, seeking a story, gumshoeing it. And then there was a movement toward, okay, we need, we need a better standard of journalism. It was led by a guy named Walter Lippmann. The idea was we need a better standard of journalism so we don't have as much muckraking. We don't have as much false material getting out there. That wasn't the wrong idea. The problem is then you started to get schools that determined that you would learn the process there. And then the degree itself became the target. So now you graduate from college, you go to NYU School of Journalism, you come out as a good little liberal, and then you, you don't actually have to pay attention to the normal processes of journalism or, you know, verify information. You just find a guy you like, and the guy you like is the expert. And then you quote the expert to say exactly what you would want to say if you were the expert. It's amazing. 
San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott said the Louis Vuitton store was burglarized and looted. The Burberry in Westfield Mall was burglarized and looted. Chief Scott was detailing his department's response to a wave of potentially organized retail thefts and burglaries, netting a million dollars in stolen luxury goods. But say the experts, this is bad. This is bad. According to the California Penal Code, what we saw was not looting. The Penal Code defines looting as theft or burglary during a state of emergency, local emergency, or evacuation order. To some, the distinction may be small, but Lorenzo Boyd, PhD, professor of criminal justice and community policing at the University of New Haven and a retired veteran police officer emphasized words matter. Looting is a term we typically use when people of color or urban dwellers are doing something. We tend not to use that term for other people when they do the exact same thing. Um, well, no, that's not true. If somebody smashes and grabs at my local jewelry store, I don't care what race they are, that is looting. Okay, but, but again, the idea is that somehow you're doing black people a favor if you don't use the word looting. Okay, so does it change if I just say that they engaged in mass theft and burglary at these stores? By the way, we don't even know that all these people are, are, are black. We know in certain situations, because we have video, that they are black. But in some of these cases, we have no idea who the criminals are. Okay, but this is all part and parcel of a broader take on criminal justice, which is if we ignore the problem in favor of stupid band-aids, that the problem goes away or that we misidentify the root of the problem. So on the one hand, you have the semantic change as well. You know, if we don't call it looting, then maybe that will end the looting because then we won't have the, the racist beliefs of America that black people are disproportionately looting and this will end systemic racism if we don't use the word looting. We had the same sort of stupid crap in Los Angeles. South Central Los Angeles was widely known as one of the high crime centers of Los Angeles for my entire childhood. It's where the riots broke out during Rodney King, et cetera. And the city council of Los Angeles decided that because there was such a stigma attached to South Central, they'd call it South L.A. Did that end the crime rates? No, because it turns out that South L.A. was still South Central. But it did make some people feel better for like half a second. Didn't solve any of the problems. So there's the semantic game playing where it's like, oh, well, you know, if we don't call it looting, if we call it South L.A., well, that probably ends the problem because then the stigma goes away and the stigma is the problem. And then there is the deeper point, which is, well, you know, the, the root of criminality and disproportionate criminality in certain minority communities, the, the root of that is deep-seated American racism and racism in the criminal justice system. And the only way to heal that is by pursuing equity in criminal justice. And the way we pursue equity in criminal justice is by letting criminals roam free. If they are of a particular race, we need to make sure that only a proportionate number of criminals are actually arrested by racial group. Now, this is a very stupid way of doing things because it turns out that you're not saying innocent people shouldn't be arrested. We all agree innocent people shouldn't be arrested. What you're saying is that if too many black people are arrested, then this means there's a problem with the system itself of arresting people, which is the same thing that we are seeing right now with regard to testing. If too many black people are doing not well on the SAT or ACT, the UCs just stop using the SAT or ACT. If you just change the metric, then magically the problem goes away. If you, if you count certain things as not things, then everything is equal outcome. Just change the measure itself. We'll get to more of this in just one second because this goes to how criminal prosecution is done in major American cities. Get to that in just a moment first. You know, there are a lot of guys who are suffering from erectile dysfunction. It is not particularly rare. 52% of dudes age 40 to 70 experience some form of ED. Well, if you've got ED, you've just been sitting around and thinking, well, maybe it'll go away. Instead, why don't you just go get it solved? Go to getroman.com slash Ben right now. Speak to a US licensed healthcare professional about erectile dysfunction get 15 bucks off your first month of treatment. 
You need to make sure that your life is running smoothly, and that does involve making sure that your medical conditions are taken care of. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation, ongoing care for erectile dysfunction, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. It's completely confidential. It's totally discreet. No big logos, no labels on the packages. A U.S.-licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, convenient, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Ben. Complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today. Connect with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional and get it taken care of. Go to GetRoman.com slash Ben today. If you are prescribed, get $15 off your first month of ED treatment. Make sure you're ready to have confidence and control this season. Roman ready. Head on over to GetRoman.com slash Ben today if you're prescribed 15 bucks off your first month of ED treatment. Okay, so all of this sort of equity-based nonsense gets translated into really, really bad public policy. As we have seen, right? This is what we just saw in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where a career criminal with a rap sheet longer than the first five books of the Bible was just released on $1,000 bail after having been arrested for using his car to attempt to run over his girlfriend. And uh, he was arrested, released on $1,000 bail, and then, according to court charging documents, deliberately drove his car down a street with a parade filled with children and older women. And the media have reported this because, again, you don't want to report this situation for what it is, which is a career criminal committing an act of mass murder. You don't want to do that because it might, you know, imply things. It is, it is amazing how studiously the media are, are avoiding talking about this guy's political views. I don't know what this guy's motives were. You don't know what this guy's motives were. I'm curious about the guy's motives, aren't you? I think we're usually curious about the motives of people who commit mass murder because we want to know what drove them to do it. The media are studiously incurious about all of this. And in fact, they're very angry if you try to bring up any indicator of what the guy could have been thinking. Andy No, who does excellent, better reporting than most of the criminal justice, social justice race reporters in the mainstream media. Andy started going through his social media and posting stuff from his social media. And the Daily Beast then ran a story about how evil Andy No was to point this out. So we just got a year long, uh, a year long false reporting master clinic from the mainstream media in while Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist. He isn't. And there's no evidence that he is. But if you do so much as look at this guy's Facebook post, the, the Waukesha murderer, if you if you so much as look at his TikTok, then this means that you are upholding white supremacy or some such nonsense. And well, the, the, the people who are in charge of the system want the system this way. It's not like they're hiding the ball. So John Chisholm is the Milwaukee County DA. Back in 2007, he was elected and he immediately started advocating for lower cash bonds for criminals. In 2007, Chisholm told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, this is a direct quote, quote, is there going to be an individual I divert or put into a treatment program who's going to go out and kill somebody? You bet. Guaranteed. It's guaranteed to happen. It does not invalidate the overall approach. So in other words, yeah, I'm going to put criminals back on the street. But, you know, if some people die, I guess some people die. Again, all in the name of social justice. Meanwhile, over in San Francisco, where smash and grabs are so bad, the looting is so bad that stores are literally shutting their doors because they cannot afford to remain open. They're operating at a loss. Chase Bowden was elected in 2019. This is the socialist DA in San Francisco. Uh, this is a guy who has been pretty obvious about his desire to not enforce the law. We don't want to make mistakes. We want to move carefully and judiciously. So we're going to be working really hard over the next couple of months 
to uh, put in place that transition plan, to listen to law enforcement leaders, to community leaders, to uh, merchants, to go around the city and really sit down with every stakeholder we can and make sure their voice is being heard as we go about transforming San Francisco's approach to criminal justice. Okay, well, they changed San Francisco's approach to criminal justice, all right. Now you should shoot heroin into your feet on the street and crap on the street corner and in your off hours, smash and grab at the Louis Vuitton. But this is all for social justice. So, you know what? Reality, as I say, always wins. I root for reality. Right? Natural law is based in the idea that human reason is capable of apprehending the world and then making rules to live in concert with the realities of the world. I'm a natural law believer, not only as a religious person, but as a sort of philosophical approach to life, which means you have to have some baseline respect for the realities of the world. The left has no respect for the realities of the world. The idea is if you transform the system, you transform human beings. Well, they transformed the system in these areas. It turns out they did not transform the human beings. The human beings are exactly the same. Their incentive structure has just changed. The incentive structure used to be that if you smash and grab at a Louis Vuitton, you might end up in jail for a very long time. In California, if you do it repeatedly, you're going to end up under the three strikes law, maybe spending the rest of your life in prison. But no longer. Now we have changed our approach to criminal justice because if we change how cosmic justice is allocated in Thomas Sowell's phraseology, then we are like gods. Well, there's only one problem. You can't change human nature. Human nature is what human nature is. And when criminals feel like they can do what they want without any threat of punishment, they just go ahead and do it. The fact that this is in any way some sort of shock to people is astonishing to me. And Democrats who embrace this, are they're, they're going to reap the whirlwind. We are watching Democrats in nearly every area of American life, particularly the progressive areas, embracing 1970s style policy and then expecting 1985 style results. That's not the way this works. You're not going to get 1997 decreases in crime if you embrace 1972 criminal justice policies. It turns out that policy has rather major ramifications for things like crime. Right? The reason that New York went from a bleephole country in the 1980s, and it really was, I mean, you had like open prostitution in Times Square, to Disneyland is because of massive broken windows policing in New York City under Rudy Giuliani and then under Michael Bloomberg. But apparently progressives have decided to abandon all of that because after all, you have to make sure that if too many people of a particular skin hue are getting arrested, the problem is not that too many people of a particular skin hue are, are committing crimes. The problem is the system. The problem is deep-seated racial injustice. Now, again, this is not to deny that there can be historic causes for current day events. History has a long tail. But the only way that you break the chain of history is by not committing crimes and punishing people who do. That is the only way that you break the chain of history. If you want more investment in low-income black areas, there needs to be lower crime. The only way to get to lower crime is not to bitch and moan about 1619. The only way to get lower crime is to put more cops in those areas and arrest more criminals. End of story. That does not mean 1619 didn't happen. It doesn't mean that there isn't a historical legacy that leads to disparate results. It does mean the only way to actually fix the problem is to fix the problem. But the left is not interested in fixing problems. The left is interested in tearing down the system. Like, they, they, don't care about, they don't care about fixing problems. They are only interested in the narrative. This is why Nicole Hannah-Jones, for example, the founder of the 1619 Project, and she says that 1776 is not a good explanatory model for the world. 1619 is a better explanatory model for the world. Here's the thing. Liberty is the only explanatory model that also allows you to take measures to preserve safety and protect property. The model that Nicole Hannah-Jones proposes on a moral level is that if a group that you're a member of has been victimized in the past, it's not about solving the problem anymore. Now it's about the cosmic justice of you should be allowed to do whatever the hell you want, apparently, according to Nicole Hannah-Jones. We have to restructure the system for equal results despite non-equal activity taking place in everyday life. The narrative of 1776 does not explain uh, the insurrection on the Capitol in January. 
It doesn't explain George Floyd and why a white police officer could feel that he could kill a man in front of witnesses and would not have to worry about facing any consequences. And it certainly uh, doesn't explain why we have a political party right now that is uh, trying to instate minority rule. That is the legacy of 1619. Right. Everything that's happening right now is the legacy of 1619. The only thing that's the legacy of the 1619 project right now are the riots. Our smash and grabs, where you're not allowed to call it looting, are criminal justice policies geared toward allowing criminals to run free and wreck cities, by the way, disproportionately harming other minorities. That's the legacy of the 1619 Project. That's their goal. They don't want 1776 because 1776 means liberty, and liberty also comes along with duty and personal responsibility. And that is not what they want because duty and personal responsibility might end with disparate results. And that they can't allow. Okay, coming up, we need to get to the Ahmed Arbery trial. Uh, It's not a trial of Ahmed Arbery. Obviously, it's of the McDaniels. Uh, We're going to get to that in just one moment, because if that case goes sideways for the prosecution, what you're going to hear is it's systemic American racism. The case is a little more complicated than that. So I'm just going to give my I don't know how that case is going to come down, but it's important that you know the facts because the media have been notably absent in reporting the facts. First, let's talk about your safety and security at home. This holiday season, deck the halls, walls, windows and doors with the best deals of the year on the award winning Ring Alarm. I'm sure we all know about the Ring video doorbell by now. Did you know that Ring makes an award winning alarm? Ring Alarm is a powerful, affordable, whole home security system you can easily install yourself. So whether you're running across town or across the country this busy season, you and your loved ones can rest easy knowing that your home is protected. It's more than just security. Ring Alarm protects your home from flood, freeze, and fire as well. Plus, it's much cheaper than those other companies. For what they charge for one month, you get an entire year of Ring Alarm with professional monitoring. Right now, for the best deals of the year on Ring Alarm, go to ring.com forward slash Ben. I use my Ring app all the time. Got a bunch of little kids running around the house. I got my little baby, the squishy baby, and uh, she is mobile. She is very, very mobile at this point. And sometimes I'll be playing with her and then I will get distracted by my phone. I look around and the baby's gone. Like, uh oh, this is when Ring app comes in very, very handy. This holiday season, deck the halls, walls, windows, and doors with the best deals of the year on the award-winning Ring Alarm. Go to ring.com forward slash Ben. Get a great deal on a Ring Alarm security kit today. That is ring.com forward slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Okay, so meanwhile, in the narrative that America is systemically racist. So we have the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, where the left continues to maintain, by the way, that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was a white supremacist. In fact, Jen Psaki from the White House yesterday was asked directly by Steve Ducey whether the president of the United States would be apologizing to Kyle Rittenhouse for including him in an ad in September of 2020, linking him with white supremacy. Here was Jen Psaki's terrible non-answer. This is about a campaign video released last year that used President Trump's own words during a debate as he refused to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. Uh, You know, what we've seen are the tragic consequences of that. When people think it's okay to take the law into their own hands instead of allowing law enforcement to do its job. And the president (coughs) believes in condemning hatred, division, and violence. That's exactly what was done in that video. So, um, yeah. Uh, that is not a good answer. And uh, I hope that Joe Biden finds himself in court having to explain why he defamed a 17-year-old. But the narrative must be preserved at all costs. So we are moving directly on from the Rittenhouse case to the to the case in the killing of Ahmed Arbery. So you'll remember, the case of Ahmed Arbery is actually a little complicated. It's a little more complicated than you've been allowed to believe. The original narrative that you were told by the media, always, by the way, in these cases, wait like a week for more facts to come out. The original narrative gets set And then the media just holds to it. So in the Rittenhouse case, the original narrative by the media was crazed white killer crosses state lines with guns in an attempt to murder people who are rioting on behalf of BLM. And not rioting, peacefully protesting. These were civil rights activists like MLK. 
Okay, that, that was the media's account, and they still are holding to it. And the media are still pretending that that's a thing. The media account right now that's being set, by the way, in Waukesha, is that it was completely non-politically motivated. We have no idea whether it was or whether it wasn't. But they're saying already, they know it was not. And also that um, that the SUV attacked people, right? It was just the, the Ford Escape attacked people. You got to watch out for those Ford Escapes. You're walking down the block, you see a Ford Escape, man, turn and go the other way. Although you wouldn't want a car profile. Right? Don't car profile because that's a little bit anti-car. It's, it's, it's race car. It's racist car. Anyway, um, the, the, the SUV is the problem. Well, now the, the narrative has been set on Arbery for a while. So the narrative originally was Ahmed Arbery was jogging through a white neighborhood. Jogging, you know, going for a jog. And uh, he was tracked down by some white racists and then he was roadblocked. He attempted to get through and they shot him, right? That was the original narrative. It's a little more complex than that, as it turns out. And the complexity of Georgia law means that these defendants could theoretically get off. And if they get off, you're going to hear people claiming loudly that this is American racism. No, this case, this fact pattern is not particularly clear. It just is not. By the way, I, I have to point out here, that there is like an actual black militia standing outside the courthouse right now in Georgia for the for the trial of, of McDaniels and um, threatening violence fairly openly. Can you imagine if a white militia showed up in Kenosha, Wisconsin to protest the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and how the media would have covered that? Now, if these people have licenses to carry and they're doing something legal, then fine. I'm not saying that what they're doing is illegal. I am saying that uh, if the races, we, we, the, the media like to play if the races were reversed. If the races were reversed, I can guarantee you this would be getting a lot more media coverage. You need to look at what happened to the Rittenhouse murder. What's going on right now? That was no justice. But at the end of the day, it takes us to do the right thing to get justice in America for Amar. For all the other people who died because of systemic racism and police brutality. We need justice. Okay, so great. Um, what exactly happened in this case? It's in dispute. Okay, so last week, there was actual defense testimony that sort of makes this a little bit more dicey. So here's the thing. Amon Arbery was not jogging in the neighborhood. Amon Arbery was trespassing. Okay, he might have been involved in burglary. This is the case that the defense is going to make. And you should know that's the case the defense is going to make so that if the guys are let off, I mean, if the defendants in this case are let off, it is not purely about American-style racism. It could be about the alternative fact pattern that allows for reasonable doubt, because in this country, you have to be proved to be the, the criminal beyond a reasonable doubt. Travis McMichael's defense attorney said that his client had reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion to follow the 25-year-old Arbery in his truck because he believed he was a burglar. He added that although Arbery was not armed with a weapon, McMichael said he'd reached into his shirt as if for a weapon. Also, he was armed with his fist, but that's not really the question. Once you reach for the gun and it's a struggle over the gun, you might have mutual self-defense, right? If, if you're carrying a gun and I attack you and I try to grab your gun, then it's not a question of whether I'm armed or not. We're both going for the gun. Okay, the question here really is not even about the moment of the shooting. Okay, that really is not the question because the question is whether the McMichaels had a reasonable justification in trying to stop Arbery or whether they did not. If they were not attempting to stop him for a reasonable purpose, then anything that follows is their fault. And this is the essence of the case. The essence of the case is if they were following Arbery for no reason because he was a black guy and then they tried to roadblock him and he attacked them and they shot him, that means that they are guilty of murder. And false imprisonment, by the way, under Georgia law. If, however, they had a rational and probable justification, if they, if they had like 51% justification to following him, reasonable suspicion that he was a felon, then under Georgia citizen's arrest law, anything that follows now becomes mutual self-defense, essentially. 
Arbery attacking because he thinks that these are guys trying to run him down. You understand why he did what he did. And also, once he goes for the gun, then the person holding the gun has to do what he has to do to maintain control of the gun. Okay, so this is the entire issue. Okay, so remember, originally the story was that Arbery was just there doing nothing, right? He was just jogging. Then the story changed, which is, well, he was walking around an empty house. Here's the thing. According to testimony, witness testimony, and video testimony, and video evidence, Arbery had been casing this house that was under construction and was nearly done repeatedly. Like, there is a lot of footage of Arbery trespassing in this particular house. Now, trespass is a misdemeanor, which still would not justify them in trying to arrest him. It would have to be felony trespass. It would have to be felony burglary. Okay, so the question is, did they have reasonable, not, did he commit a felony? Did they have reasonable suspicion that he had committed a felony? So the person's house that he was apparently trespassing in was a guy named Larry English, whose house is being built, and some equipment had been stolen from the house. That amounts to felony burglary in the state of Georgia if Arbery committed it. Unclear whether Arbery was the guy who's stealing the equipment, but he was going to the site over and over and over again, apparently. Here was some of the trespass video of Ahmed Arbery at this particular site. Security cameras caught several people going into this home under construction in the same neighborhood. The owner shared this video today of a man in the home in December. It's not clear if this could be Arbery, but the owner believes the same man entered the home on February 11th. A Glynn County police report details officers arriving but not finding anyone trespassing. Okay, so the police were called. One of the police officers who's called is a guy named Robert Rash. And he says, I was going to come and I was going to uh, give Arbery a trespass warning if that was Arbery. If you made contact with the uh, now deceased homicide victim, mm -hmm. your intent was to what? Identify him, mm -hmm. okay, then trespass him and... If that's what Mr. English, it's it's ultimately his decision, mm -hmm. and it does happen. Some all, some homeowners, some business owners, they just say, "Tell him to leave." I don't want you to trespass, and just tell him to leave and don't come back. Mm -hmm. And it's ultimately Larry English's decision. Okay, and then Robert Rash said something that actually cuts in favor of the defense. He said, "I told the entire neighborhood about Arbery trespassing, including the McMichaels." Okay, so now the McMichaels are suspicious that there is a guy. It looks like Arbery trespassing on the property. And they know that property has been stolen from that particular house. And so now you're starting to see the possibility of reasonable grounds for trying to make a citizen's arrest. Okay, so here is Rash saying that he told the whole neighborhood about this situation. This was not just a secret the police knew. This is something everybody knew. Where did you encounter Greg McMichael on December 20th, 2019? He was in his front yard of his property at 230 Source. We uh, spoke. Uh, talked to him in reference to the the unidentified black male down at 220 or 219 or excuse me yeah 220 Satilla Drive. Um, we talked about him continually to come onto the property, not being able to find, figure out who he is. Um, I told Mr. McMichael that I had somewhat canvassed the neighborhood, talked to different people. Nobody knew who he was. Okay, and then this officer testifies. Again, this is an officer for the Georgia police force. He says that he told Larry English, who's the owner of the house, to tell McMichaels to watch the property. Okay, so it wasn't like McMichaels was just kind of wandering around and then he saw this. He told him, watch the property. He told the property owner, tell McMichaels, who's a former cop, to watch the property. Mr. McMichael asked me to pass on his phone number to Mr. English and that he was lives right down the road if he had he needed him to call him. And that's when I sent the text to Mr. English that Greg McMichael was a retired 
DA, uh, police officer and an investigator from the district attorney's office. Okay, so the defense, this is their case. Their case is that Arbery was allegedly a burglar committing a felony, or at least the McMichaels had reason to believe that he was a burglar committing a felony, that there was video showing him in the house, that a police officer had warned the entire neighborhood that this person was, was burglarizing the house, or at least was trespassing and might be burglarizing, that the police had told the owner of the house to call McMichaels in case he saw on video somebody doing this. And then McMichaels found out about it and then tracked him down. Okay, so that, that starts to look like maybe reasonable grounds for defense. I'm not saying that it is reasonable grounds for a defense. I'm saying that you can see why a jury might reach that conclusion if, in fact, that is a conclusion the jury reaches without ever having to access the question of race. Okay, here is the, the here are some of the lawyers for the McMichaels making the case. This would be Jason Sheffield and Laura Hogue making the case as to what Arbery was doing that day. Remember, the entire case hinges on whether it was reasonable for the McMichaels to try to effectuate a citizen's arrest. If yes, then whatever happens is no longer murder. If no, then what happens is first degree murder and false imprisonment. Constitute the offense of burglary. It's not necessary that a break-in happen, that something gets broken. If you recall, all the questions by the state of the witnesses will, was anything broken? Was a window broken? Was a door broken? That's not what's required for the law. Those questions are meaningless and they are red herrings. Burglary is a felony. Entering a dwelling place without authority with the intent to commit a theft in there. Okay, and, uh, and Hogue went on. To talk about this, she said Arbery was involved in criminality. He was not an innocent guy who's just jogging down the street, which, of course, again, the media botched the story at the beginning. There's no question. The original story was that he was just an innocent guy who was jogging around. Now, again, he may have been innocent of a felony, and the McMichaels may not have known that he was committing a felony, right? That's going to be the prosecution's case here. They were just a bunch of racist white guys who decided to track down a black guy who was in the neighborhood. But... um. According to the defense lawyers, it seems like, and according to that witness testimony, at least there's a, a per se case, a, a sort of prima facie case, that they had some understanding that this guy likely was committing a crime or may have been committing a crime. Ahmad Arbery was not an innocent victim plundering through Larry English's house on February 23rd. Just as he wasn't an innocent victim all the other nights, like October 25th, or November 18th, or December 15th, or February 11th? Is he the person responsible for stealing Larry English's expensive boat equipment? I don't know. We don't know. No one investigated that. But can anyone reasonably believe that Ahmad Arbery was just do doing a looky-loo on those nights. This is going to be the question. Okay, so the only reason that I bring this up is because if this verdict comes down the way the media don't want it to come down, then what you're going to hear is America's systemically racist, just like Kyle Rittenhouse, and they're going to manufacture a narrative about it. I think it's important for you to know the facts of the case, which go, it could go either way, right? It looks a lot like the Chauvin case, but which looks like it does not necessarily have much to do with racism. By the way, the prosecution in this case did not make it about racism. This is important to note as well. The prosecution did not even admit into evidence the idea that the McMichaels did this because Arbery was black. Instead, what they said is the McMichaels were overzealous guardians of their community, 
and they just were looking for an opportunity to go out and play vigilante, essentially. They did not make the case, the prosecution, that the McMichaels did this because of Arbery's race. If the prosecution didn't do that, how was the media making it all about that? This would make, how many cases can we have where there's not even an allegation that it's really at root about racism made in court, and yet the media makes it about race? Right, Rittenhouse was about race. Clearly, it was not about race. The people who were shot were white. Chauvin and George Floyd. It was the biggest race story in the country. There was not even an allegation made in court that Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd because George Floyd was black. That allegation was not made because there was no evidence to it. And now the media are making it that the McMichaels killed Arbery because Arbery was black. That allegation really was not made in court. The reason I point this out is because whichever way the verdict goes, you should understand that fact patterns do not match what the media tell you about the fact patterns because the media have an agenda and that agenda will be pursued no matter the underlying fact pattern, right? Looting is not looting. Because if the wrong people are doing the looting, you wouldn't want to label it looting. It might create stigma. And race cases that are not race cases are still race cases because we have to maintain the 1619 narrative, even when it doesn't match a particular fact pattern. Already coming up, we'll get to Joe Biden trying to do something about rising gas prices after having helped create the rising gas prices. We'll get to that momentarily. First, let's talk about your sleep quality. So I just got to tell you, the best sheets on the market, Bull and Branch, period, end of story. This cyber week, Bull & Branch is offering their best deal of the entire year. If last night's sleep wasn't as good as it could be, their sheets could make all the difference. With Bull & Branch, you get the best sleep of your life with their highest quality organic cotton sheets. The signature hem sheets, those are the all-time bestseller. They are beloved for many reasons, like how they get softer with every single wash. They're buttery soft, lightweight. They're made with 100% organic cotton weave. It feels incredible in all seasons. They come in a wide range of colors and sizes from twin up to California King, completely toxin-free, fair trade certified. We love our Bull & Branch sheets so much that we had other sheets. And uh, yeah, those are in the garbage now or given to Salvation Army. Uh, th those sheets were no good. Bull and Branch, that's the stuff you want. This Cyber Week, give your loved ones the best sleep of their lives or treat yourself with Bull and Branch. Their holiday packaging, famously soft sheets, blankets, pillows, and more make a difference everyone will feel. Get 25% off from November 23rd through December 2nd with their best offer of the year at bullandbranch.com. That's 25% off at B-O-L-L and branch.com exclusions may apply. All right, in just a second, we'll get to the Joe Biden of it all first. Got big announcement. I said like in 2015, we were going to have a merch store here at Daily Wire. And everyone's like, don't say it. Don't say it. Because we don't have, we do. It's here. I was just ahead of my time. The Daily Wire shop is live. It's ready for all your extremely important Christmas and Hanukkah needs. Yes, you heard that right. Daily Wire merch. It's here. Head to dailywire.com slash shop to check out all of the brilliant collections like the Do Not Comply Tees or the Let's Go Brandon Tailgate gear or my personal line of merch. Yes, indeed. My personal line of merch. You can get a My Wife's a Doctor t-shirt. You can also get a Fax t-shirt with this extraordinarily beautiful pun. Anyone can shop at the Daily Wear store, but only Daily Wear members get special discounts up to 20% off. Members also receive access to shop exclusive items like signed copies of Candace Owens' book Blackout, which will only be available for a limited amount of time. Members can now also purchase the iconic Leftist Tears Tumblr. We've never made the Tumblr available to buy before. We've only got very limited quantities at the rate they're selling. They will be gone by Black Friday. That means if you want to give the Tumblr as a gift this Christmas, you should get yours right now. Head on over to dailywire.com slash shop to get a little something for everyone on your list who will not comply. And if you're not yet a member, sign up right now at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Enter code DW35. You get 35% off your membership, all the perks you wouldn't otherwise. That deal ends tomorrow. Make sure you grab that discount while you still can. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. All righty. So meanwhile, oil prices across the nation are way too high. 
And that is because the Biden administration has made the decision. They don't want to tell you about this decision because it's unfortunate, but they made the decision that they are in the pocket of the climate change crowd. And this means that it is good that your oil prices are high, that you're paying too much at the pump. That is a good thing. They've said this sort of stuff before, by the way, pretty openly and pretty clearly. They want the price of gas to go up so that you are incentivized to do more expensive forms of energy. All of this to save the earth. And they're saying it pretty clearly right now. I mean, Joe Biden, for example, he says we're reducing reliance on oil. It's good. You know, yeah, I mean, the gas is expensive, but that's we're reducing our reliance on oil right now. Isn't that isn't that a good thing? Here's the thing. We were oil independent under the last president. Then Joe Biden came in. He killed Keystone XL. He started banning oil leases on federal land. And uh, now we're not anymore. So that is indeed his fault. He says, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. We're reducing reliance on oil. I've worked hard these past few weeks on calls and meetings with foreign leaders, policymakers to put together the building blocks for today's global announcement. And while our our combined actions will not solve the problem of high gas prices overnight, it will make a difference. It will take time, but before long, you should see the price of gas drop where you fill up your tank. And in the longer term, we will reduce our reliance on oil as we shift to clean energy. But right now, I will do what needs to be done to reduce the price you pay at the pump. Okay, by the way, what did he do to reduce the price that we pay at the pump? He um, released 50 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. There's only one problem with this. The United States uses about 20 million barrels of oil every single day. So he released about two and a half days worth of oil. That's it. That's that's what he did for the entire nation. Yeah, that's not going to do anything. And what, what's really encouraging is that uh, Jennifer Granholm, the Secretary of Energy, who can be viewed in a bizarre video singing about how we need to get rid of gas, literally singing about it. It's a very, very weird video. We showed it earlier this week. She does not know how many barrels of gas Americans use a day. Like she has no clue. She has no, how many, no idea how many barrels of oil. Now, you're the energy secretary, so I feel like you should know this. You should have some, especially on a day that you're announcing. Like, that, that's the number one question, right? If somebody gives you a statistic completely out of context, like Joe Biden released 50 million barrels of oil, you're like, wow, that's a lot of oil. But your very first question, like literally the first question is, okay, but how many do you use on a regular day? Like if I, if I said to you, today, you are, I'm gonna give you a caloric allotment of 1,000 calories without any context. You might think to yourself, okay, well, um, but how many do I need? Like that's your fir- literally your first question is how much do I need? Okay, so if you release 50 million barrels of oil, people might immediately think how much oil do you need? Well, here's the problem. The energy secretary doesn't know because she's too busy focused on TikToking her way through life. There are various figures about this. So I'm curious if you know, how many barrels of oil does the U.S. consume per day? I don't have that number in front of me. So some suggest it's about 18 million, which would suggest you're releasing less than three days worth of supply from the petroleum reserve. Why is that enough? Well, we, what we are doing, plus what other countries may be doing, which will be less than what we're doing because we have the largest um, amount of strategic petrol, of petroleum reserves. Yeah, man. Uh, that would be a non-answer right there. But the good news is we're ramping up clean energy. So strap that windmill to the top of your car and just pinwheel your way to work today. Relying upon um, volatile sources or relying upon fuel from countries that may not have our best interests at heart 
hurts the American people in the long and in the short uh, run. So it's why we're working faster than ever to diversify our energy, to add more clean energy. It's why the president's uh, vision of building out clean energy sources like solar and wind and hydropower and geothermal and advanced nuclear, that is the answer. That is the best strategy long term to protect American consumers from these energy price shocks. Okay, you're not protecting American consumers from bleep. Okay, let me explain why. Carbon-based energy is by far the most efficient form of energy, period, end of story. It is the most efficient. And because one of the big problems with things like wind or solar power is that the batteries don't hold the energy for very long. Okay, so it turns out that when there's no wind, that's the end of it. And when there is a rainy day, that that makes it very difficult for solar energy to, to be a thing. These alternative forms of energy are much more expensive than gas. So there's only one way that you can actually get people to use these alternative form of energies, and that's you got to subsidize them. You got to subsidize them. You have to artificially either raise the price of gas or you have to artificially lower the price of these alternative forms of energy. Now, you can make the case for that, but you can't make that case to the consumer. Okay, if the case you're making to the consumer is there will be no cost to our policies, that, of course, is a lie. Of course, there are costs to your policies. But Democrats don't want you to know there are costs to your policies. So instead, they just lie. They'll be like, well, we're going to create millions of green jobs. No, you're not. You're not. All you're going to do is take jobs away from more efficient industries and put them in less efficient industries at the cost of the taxpayer. That's all you're doing. And we all know it. But the good news is Joe Biden knows one thing and that this is it's that this is not his fault. As always, nothing is ever his fault. I also want to briefly address one myth about inflated gas prices. They're not due to environmental measures. My effort to combat climate change is not raising the price of gas or increasing its availability it, what it's doing, it's increasing the availability of jobs. Jobs building electric cars like the one I drove at the GM Detroit, the GM factory in Detroit last week. For the hundreds of thousands of folks who brought one of those electric cars, they're going to save $800 to $1,000 in fuel costs this year. Um, so, uh, no. Okay, so I'm just going to say that, that his policies are not putting millions of people in electric cars across the United States. By the way, at the end of 2020, the grand total number of electric vehicles being used in the United States, little over a million. How many cars are being used to total in the United States right now? Uh, 287 million. So no, <laughs> going to go no on that, Joe. All righty. Well, we've reached the end of today's show. However, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out our newest podcast, Morning Wire. On today's episode, they give you some updates on the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. That episode is available right now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure to tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire editor-in-chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. 
On today's episode, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial is set to begin, the U.S. suffers a record number of overdose deaths, and protests break out in Europe over COVID restrictions. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 